we were playing go fish at about 25,000 feet. I was in the window seat, and my five-year-old son was in the middle seat. Do you have any fives, he asked. And at that moment, the plane plummeted about 500 feet. As I sucked in my breath, I turned and looked out the window so that my son would not see the panic and fear that was filling my face. And then I turned back to him and I said, ah, go fish. And I just tried to keep breathing. I tried to pretend that all would be well, but it seemed like we were doomed. We should have landed by now, a short one-hour flight to see the grandparents. But bad weather had shut down the airport where we were to land, and we were low on fuel, and the pilot came on and announced that air traffic control had directed us into the path of another airplane. Fortunately, the automatic collision avoidance system alerted the pilot, and he threw off the autopilot and manually pushed the nose of the plane down into a steep descent, and it created a roller coaster type effect, which is great if you like roller coasters and you were on one, but I do not, and we were not. At this moment of fear, I pretended joy. I pretended for the sake of my son because I didn't want him to be afraid like I was. And eventually we made it safely to the grandparents' home. But first we did have to stop and spend the night in Amarillo, Texas, where I discovered that one really ought to own a cell phone and travel with a little cash and at least know the PIN number to your debit card. But we made it. We made it through eating popcorn for dinner and sleeping in our clothes. And the moment of that ordeal that has always lingered with me was that moment of utter terror. Are we about to perish, I thought? And then I gave my son that fake answer, <laughs> go fish, which was just my attempt to be playful and to try to pretend joy. That first Easter, according to the gospel, according to Matthew, was a mixture of fear and joy. If you think Easter began with crowds packed into a sanctuary, then go and reread the gospels. There were only five people there at the first Easter, social distancing, or just too afraid to leave their homes. Matthew tells us there were five two women, both named Mary, the guards. Let's just assume two of them. After all, how many guards does it take to guard a dead man and keep him inside of the grave? But the text does use the plural guard, so let's assume two. And then there was an angel, which just means messenger. So five in all, the two Marys, the two guards, and the messenger. Matthew tells the story of the first Easter with lots of drama or special effects. There, as the morning begins to dawn, the earth quakes. Not a little tremor, but a huge, big earthquake and a messenger angel whose appearance is like lightning and whose clothing is white as snow, perched atop the stone that the angel has just rolled away. Do not be afraid. Do not fear, do not be afraid. Four times we are told 
to rid ourselves of fear, which is a sure and certain sign that we are all terribly afraid. Who could go through an earthquake without fear? Who steps into a graveyard without fear? Who chats it up with an angel without quaking in her sandals? The Gospel of Matthew paints a picture of two different responses to this earth-shattering announcement that Jesus has not remained in the grave. The two guards are lying face down on the green grass, hugging the earth. At least that's how I picture it. The text says that the guards shook and became like dead men. They are paralyzed with fear. They cannot move. They are terrified. They are immobilized. How can they possibly explain this to their boss? Will they even live to tell their wives what had happened that morning in the grave? The two Marys are also afraid, but they respond in an opposite manner. They run they run to tell the good news. They run to tell Jesus' friends that their brother is no longer dead. They run, it says in Matthew, with fear and with great joy. They run quickly, like sprinters who cannot be stopped for any reason because it's not just their legs that carry them, but the breath of life that has filled them with hope in the midst of their lingering fear not that their fear is transformed. It isn't. It persists as a companion to their joy. Fear is not replaced by joy. Fear is accompanied by joy as the women suddenly depart the graveyard. You and I know a little bit about the companionship of fear and joy. A friend of mine was packing up the car to go to the hospital to deliver her first child when her husband locked the keys to the car in the trunk. Fear and joy make good companions. One day, not long ago, I went with a friend of mine, a man in his early 80s, to visit the gravestone of his wife. I had been out of town on the day of her funeral. A couple of months had passed. We went together, I picked him up, we went to the graveyard to see her tombstone. We stood together next to her stone. He wept. I held his hand. We prayed. He had no idea how to live without her. Fear gripped him. And yet, there was a sense of joy as he reflected on the amazing love affair that the two of them had shared for over 50 years. What would enable you and I to run like those women who left the tomb in fear and great joy instead of us falling down like the dead men trembling in fear? Well, if the word fear appears four times in Matthew's story, then maybe we should look at the other word that Matthew tosses out there four times. It is the word see. And seeing is the theme of Matthew's gospel. Come and see. And this time, the angel says, come and see the place where he lay, and then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has been raised from the dead and is indeed going ahead of you to Galilee, where you will see him. 
the women see something that the guards do not see. Can we go forward in the midst of the disorder of this world, running with those women who were filled both with fear and great joy? Dare we see the risen Christ alive in the world today? It is not so much a question of the mind that we ask as it is a question of the heart. If you are not there yet, do not worry. Resurrection is not a doctrine. It is simply a way of being in the world. I don't know what happened to those guards after they got up. We're never told. Do you imagine that they went home and locked the door and stayed inside? Did they die? Did they give up on life? Or did they, did they slowly come to some kind of spiritual awakening that enabled them, too, to run with energy and hope, even though, like the women, they were still afraid? There's always time. There's always time for joy to still arrive. God is always up ahead of us in Galilee, waiting, waiting for us to see. The priest Richard Rohr writes, Resurrection is contagious and free for the taking. It is everywhere visible and available to those who have learned how to see, how to rejoice, how to neither hoard nor limit God's ubiquitous gift. I love that. I love thinking about resurrection as contagious and available to those who have learned how to see. Real joy does not happen because we force it or because we pretend it. It comes as a surprising gift. On Wednesday of last week, I had had enough of the inside of my home. Oh, I take walks early every morning and at the end of every day, but sometimes in the middle of the day, I still need to see outside. Wednesday was a gorgeous day, and so after lunch, I got on my bike and I rode down to Loose Park. As I passed each home of a member of the congregation, I prayed over him or her. At a few homes, I stopped and called and said, hey, wave out your window. And when I turned around from Loose Park and began to bike back home, I felt a little tug that I could ride past the church and see what is blooming in the garden here. I specifically wanted to see the chapel garden, the columbarium, where the saints of the congregation have been laid to rest, their ashes in niches. I have never really known where I would be buried. I have never quite decided if I wanted cremation or just to be laid in a pine box. But as I biked over to the church, I began to weep. And I felt a tug to be buried in the columbarium outside the chapel so that I would forever be with this congregation, these people whom I love. For by being with you, I see that God is here now. And I realized as I biked that my tears were not tears of sadness, but of joy, because I know without a doubt that we will be together 
again. When I pulled my bike up into the chapel parking lot and walked around to look in the garden of the columbarium, I saw the pansies in full bloom and I saw the azaleas just about to burst and then I saw someone leaning over with pruning shears and Nancy was there. Nancy Ralston, she was weeding and pruning. What are you doing, Nancy, I asked. Well, she said, you know, sometimes people come by on the weekends to visit the graves of their loved ones, and, and I want it to look as beautiful, as peaceful, as comforting as it could possibly be come Easter. She was there in the garden to make it shine to make it a place of hope so that if you dare stop by, you will see. You will see that God has raised the living Christ. He is here. Christ is risen. Death has not gotten the final word. God is up ahead waiting for us in this life and eternally. Can you see?